morning. As Scott just shared, my name is Matt. I'm a pastor in downtown Raleigh. Church is called Fellowship Raleigh. Uh, we are a sister church to you, Southbridge Fellowship. Uh, we both have the same point of origin. We uh, were sent out of a church in Little Rock, Arkansas to come to Raleigh and plant a church. And Scott came out here a year before my wife and I uh, came out and planted Fellowship Raleigh. Um, like Scott and like I think some of your other pastors, uh, we have four daughters. So I think that's kind of a club uh, for pastors in Raleigh or something. Uh, my wife is Kristen and we have four daughters, the youngest of which is one-year-old twins. So um, we are uh, going to be getting into the book of James this morning. So if you could turn there uh, to chapter 1, um, find James chapter 1 in your Bible or on your phone or your iPad or whatever um, you're going to use, okay? So James chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 19 through 25. I do want to say that um, being friends with Scott is a great blessing in my life as a pastor, and guest speakers, I guess, are supposed to say that, but I do not say it because of that. I say it because I genuinely mean it. I really deeply respect Scott, and I deeply respect this church, and I and our church is so glad that you're here doing what you're doing, so praise God for that. Um, so James uh, 1, 19 through 25. Now, I know you've been in Mark And here we're just jumping into James this morning. And so let me just kind of orient you to the surroundings, James chapter 1. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing this epistle to believers who are enduring persecution, ostracization, trials, all this kind of stuff in the first century in the early church. All right, so chapter 1, there's an intro verse. And then in verses 2 through 12, James talks about trials. All right, so trials, there's a key verse there to count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. So that's the focus there, 2 verses 12. Um, Then in 13 through 18, the focus is on temptation. You might remember, some of you, but you can look later if you like, but there's a verse there that says, don't say that God is tempting you. It's your own desires enticing your flesh. And so there's this advice and guidance on temptation. And now in verse 19 through 25, James takes up truth. So trials, temptation, now truth And really, the title of our message this morning is Responding to the Word, God's Word, the truth of God. Are we going to be hearers only or hearers and doers? So that's the focus this morning. We're going to read those verses in a moment, but first a story. So there's this really influential city, kind of like Raleigh, but not Raleigh. And there's a two-term famous, actually, and effective mayor of this city. And he uh, receives news of a situation, and he's in his second term as mayor, and he has to leave the country for three, possibly five months to deal with a family emergency. Now, that is uh, a short enough period of time that he isn't going to step down or replace himself, but it's a long enough period of time that he is worried about what might happen to his legacy in this city as he has to be gone for such a long time. So he leaves, as he leaves, a three-page letter for his leaders of his city and for the people of the city. He writes it in his own handwriting because it's so important that they, they remember this is from him. He's influential. This is his letter. And at the very bottom of the letter, he signs it in huge letters, his name, and he writes P.S. and he says, focus on the content of this letter. He writes that in huge letters at the bottom of this three-page letter. So he leaves, he's gone, he's actually gone for the full five months. He comes back, and how does he encounter the city? Is it beautiful as he left it, 
as he told them to keep it, or has it changed? Well, he gets to the outskirts of the city, and he immediately realizes that the median and the, the grass along the side of the road and all the city parks have not been mowed. It's summer. It's been five months since it's been mowed. It's a jungle. Trash has not been collected. Roadkill has not been taken off the road. It stinks. It's destitute. Things have gone very wrong. So what does he do? What would you do? What would I do? He goes to the leaders of the city. And he says to them, what about my letter? What's going on here? What did you do? Did you do what I told you to do? What do they say? Here's what they say. They say, sir, we did exactly what you told us to do. We focused day and night on the content of your three-page letter. Our children have memorized it. We wrote songs based on it, inspired by it. We created a whole genre of music with its own awards show for your letter. T-shirts, bumper stickers. Some of our young adults have tattoos of key phrases from your letter in Chinese on their arms and Greek and Hebrew. You can get breath mints that will tell you little phrases of our letter. We've translated into eight languages and we have teams prepared to go deliver it to different nations. Your letter has been put in a bound book, leather. We've sold many, many copies. It's a bestseller. Your letter, we have focused on the content of your letter. That is what we have done. We've even commissioned a team of scholars to trace from page one, word one of your letter to the very end and find any themes like a thread that run that only those trained in the original languages could discern. We have focused on your letter. He says, but what did you do about what I told you to do in the letter? (laughs) A little similar sometimes, right, to our lives. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, he says this, so wide is the gulf between theory and practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream that there was any relation between them. So I know you love God's word at Southbridge, so I'm uh, with you, not against you, and James is too. But this is a challenging message to close that gap between theory and practice, between hearing and doing, and be a faithful disciple of Jesus. So two quick sermon points this morning from verses 19 through 25 of James chapter 1. Let me just uh, read that passage and pray, okay? Here we go. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, he goes away, at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful 
that in your sovereign, just sort of orchestration, you've brought us together today. We've come. We've dropped our children off. We've, we've come with a friend. We've come alone. We're here. But we've come before you. We've come before your word. And so we just pray, God. We pray for those at Fellowship Raleigh hearing from Scott. We pray for ourselves here that there would just be a holy parenthesis around this time that our minds, our hearts, our wills would be open to your word. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. First point is, uh, is this. Stop hanging on to sinful habits and receive the word. Stop hanging on to sinful habits and receive the word. Now, let me say this. I don't really like this point. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't like the wording. Like, I just don't like it. Like, I don't know. I thought about rewording it. I'm kind of a wordsmith. But I just don't. And, and then I tried to. And then I was like, you know, just really, this is it. Like, this is what verses 19 through 21 is really challenging us with. So it just got to stay. But I don't like it. It's like, stop. It's like kind of a mean point, you know, first sermon point, guest preacher. But look, stop hanging on to sinful habits and receive the word. It's coming from verse 19 through 21. So look there with me if you can. In these verses, we have four commands. First one is to know, then to be, then to put away, then to receive. In the NIV translation, these same words are different. It's take note, be, get rid of, and accept. We have four commands here. The first one is, it says, know this, my beloved brothers. The NIV says, take note of this, dear brothers and sisters. So James's starting point is a very kind starting point. He's assuming and believing the best of us, coming alongside us as brothers and sisters in Christ with him and saying, all that is good in you through Christ, I want to call that out and call you to discipleship, and being a hearer and a doer of the word. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how he starts. And what does he say next? He says, he says, let every person be. And the command there is be. Look at, if you can, please look at the word as we're going through this. Let every person be. So is this to the leaders of the church? Hold your hand up if you think so. No? Yes? Trick question? Yep. It's to every person. Leaders, yes, but everyone. All of the truth of this passage for all of God's people right now and all the time. Every person, and what does it say? To do something? No, it says to be someone. Let every person be. So as much as this sermon is about being doers of the word, not hearers only, as much as this passage does in fact say that, please know that it's about being someone, not just doing something. Being someone who does something. Does that make sense? Okay, so let every person be. What does it say? It says, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's all about pace here. You got to know when to be quick, when to be slow. It's like in athletics, a point guard, there's a time to slow it down, to stall. There's a time to run a fast break. If you get those reversed, that's a problem. You're going to lose. So the pace James is encouraging these followers of Christ with and us is to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And isn't, aren't we so often the opposite, right? 
human nature is really to do the opposite, to be quick to speak, quick to anger, and slow to hear and be teachable. So James is here effectively, God, through James, here effectively is saying to us, to you, to me, don't do what's natural. Do what through Christ is supernatural. Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. Now, if you're studying this passage, which you are right now, we're doing that together, right? Amen? Hello? (laughs) So if you were studying this passage and you got to verse 20, right after verse 19, where he said these three things, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Which one of them is he going to go further with? Which one is it going to be his focus? Is he going to double click on and zoom in on? And what we see in verse 20, it's anger. So he says in verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The King James Version says it does not worketh. All right, the righteousness of God. It doesn't work. It's a fail. What does it fail? What, what is the righteousness of God? Here's what I think. I think it's, it's sort of a two, two-sided meaning here because when we're angry, there's a righteousness of God that we want to see. We want things to be right. We want, you know, the new heavens and the new earth to be applied to our life right now. <laughs> like, we want it right. I was wrong, and I want it right. But when we're angry... And when it's a sinful, self-centered anger, which so much of anger is, it doesn't work it. The righteousness of God that we long to see doesn't come from our anger. It fails. There's also, though, the righteousness of God that God longs to see in our lives, the Christ-likeness, the righteousness of God, and that also doesn't come. Because sinful, self-oriented anger is not the way Christ was. Is not the way we are called to be. It's not where joy is found. So James zooms in on anger. Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. It doesn't produce. It doesn't work. It doesn't give you the results that you're looking for, nor the results that God's looking for in our lives. It's a fail. So now, of course, some anger is okay. Sometimes it's wrong to be passive and not angry in the face of great wickedness, great injustice, Some anger is okay. That's righteous anger. So he doesn't say don't ever be angry. What does he say? What does he say? He says be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Be wise. So now we're getting into verse 21, and James is going to continue and sort of give rationale here, and he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So put away and receive. Get rid of and accept. Take it off, put it on. Red light, green light. He doesn't just say, take it off, get rid of it, and I'm not going to give you anything else to do. No, he gives us what to do as well as what not to do. So get rid of, what does he say? He says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. What is that? That sounds like the worst R-rated movie, right? And that's what we all think of. Okay, get rid of that. Yes, yes. But no, where are we? What passage are we in? What's the context? I mean, he just spent time talking about anger. Surely that would be included here in what he's saying in the next verse, and so it is. There is a rampant wickedness and filthiness 
that we have sometimes in our sort of emotional lives that really holds us back from the joy that God longs to see in us as his disciples, as his children, which we sang so powerfully about. And so get rid of, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put it away. And then receive with meekness, the NIV says humbly, the word of God which is implanted in you already and able to save you. So here's why I love the point, and here's what really, let's just get down to the bottom line here. I think so often we believe that we can add information and knowledge about God's word on top of a compromised walk with the Lord, and we expect that we will experience joy and life transformation and growth. The reality is, it doesn't work, it's a fail. It disappoints, it doesn't lead to joy, it doesn't lead to life transformation. That's the point here, really, there's a profound order here. He says, first take off, then put on. He says, first get rid of, then receive the word which is implanted already in you and able to save you. So we want to, as our point here this morning is, stop hanging on to sinful habits and receive the word. Let's make one more little note here about the word. It says it's already implanted. The word there, planted, God here is a gardener. Our life is a soil. The word, the seed, is already planted. Our job is to cultivate the soil, get rid of the weeds of this, the emotional sin, the intellectual sin of pride and arrogance, the relational sin of compromise in our walk with the Lord, and, and, and to sort of cast that out so that the seed which is already implanted in us and able to save us can grow. Isn't it profound and amazing that God here commands us to receive something that we already have? There's a difference, I think, between getting something, accepting it, and then really deeply receiving it. We'll continue to talk about that. But I love that it says here, the word which is able to save. The word. James earlier in verse 19 says that we are brought forth by the word. Christians are. The word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not a spell. This is not hocus pocus like, oh, page 20, recite that, you're saved. No. This is not a spell. This is the gospel. This this is not a motto, a mantra. This is not advice. This is an announcement. This is a declaration that Jesus, that he, sinless son of God, who was silent before those who persecuted him and arrested him and mocked him and crucified him, who was sinless, went to the cross and paid our price, died a sinner, a criminal's death in our place as an atonement, as a substitute for our sin, was buried, was raised in three days, rose from the grave, conquered death, was not resuscitated, was resurrected, and now is seated next to the Father in heaven and will return. That's the gospel. That's a great spot for an amen. Right? Hey, hello? I mean, James says, look, you all got to receive humbly, meekly, the word which is already implanted. 
He's working with us, not against us. He's calling out the good in us that's there through Christ. So, points that we should make, big point that we should make from this first point. We need to have that defining the relationship conversation with the Word of God. Can your God disagree with you? Because if God can't disagree with your opinions, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself and your opinions. I love the way Tim Keller in the book Reason for God says, if you don't trust the Bible enough to let it challenge and correct your thinking, how could you ever have a personal relationship with God? In any true personal relationship, the other person has to be able to contradict you. Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as in a real friendship or marriage, will you know that you have gotten hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. There's a conversation in the Old Testament between God and Job. And we're not going to go through the entire book of Job this morning. Amen. (laughs) But in chapter 38, God responds to Job. And he says to Job, Who is this that obscures my plans? With words without knowledge, brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy, have you ever given orders to the morning, or shown the dawn its place? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion, the constellation's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead the bear with its cubs? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts? Do they report to you. So the point here about responding to the word of God, to stop hanging on to sinful habits, to weed the soil and receive the word, which is a seed, which is able to save us, which is planted in our lives through the gospel. That's the point. So let's be teachable. Let's be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry responding well to God's word. So that's the first point. Second point, remember and continuously act on the word. So stop hanging on to sinful habits, believing the lie that we can sort of put a layer of knowledge on top of a life of compromise and see joy and growth. Stop hanging on to sinful habits and receive the word. And then the second point, continuously act on the word. So here we're examining belief versus behavior. Here we're looking at the ways that we're self-deceived, the ways that we lie to ourselves. You know that no one lies to you more than you. And no one lies to me more than me. James points that out, really. He's so gentle with it, but that's what he says. In verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So I, I love this quote from an English bishop. He says, To deceive is bad. To deceive yourselves is worse. To deceive yourselves about your souls is worst of all. You know that James, if you study the whole book, I think you would see, 
that he has three real audiences in mind. First is to Christians who authentically and genuinely are believers in Christ. The second audience is kind of the audience that's overhearing, and that's people who definitely are not followers of Christ. They're here, they're checking it out, but they know I'm not a Christian. The third audience that we sometimes forget, but is really a primary audience in the New Testament, is people who think they're Christians, but they're self-deceived. They're not. And any gathering in any church is always filled with those three audiences. And so James really wants to deal with that here. He really wants to talk to us about ways we self-deceive ourselves and how important it is that we remember and continuously act on the word. So look at what he says. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. The NIV says, do not merely listen, do what it says. Now let me make a quick point here, just a clarification. This is for pragmatic Pete and I don't like Doctrine Debbie, okay? It doesn't say don't be hearers of the word and just do. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. That's a social gospel. We're not interested in it. It says be hearers, grow, learn, meditate, reflect, memorize, and doers. And that's where the blessing and the joy is. That's what he's calling us to. It's two pedals on a bike, two wings on a plane. It's a knife and a fork for your steak. Wouldn't want to go in there without both, right? Okay. So we're deceiving ourselves. We're literally looking at ourselves in the mirror and telling ourselves a lie when we don't do that. What is the lie? That's a serious charge, right? That's a serious charge. You say, hey, you're lying. That's big. What's the lie? Here it is. Here's some ways that I think we are lying. So when we come to maybe a house church in the first century, maybe uh, one of these churches James's letter came to, when we come to small group at Southbridge, when we come here Sunday, how do we lie to ourselves when we are not doers of the word? Here's how. Number one, we say that we heard the word. But we f- most fundamentally did not because if we're not living it out and applying it, we didn't really hear it. It's God's word. We say that we've done something beneficial for ourselves. We tell ourselves that. We look right in the mirror and say, you did something good today. But we didn't. Hello? It's like going to the gym. You know, you get changed. You sit there, and you're like, I'm not doing this. I'm out. That's not doing something good for yourself. I've done that before. Anyone done that before? Yeah, that's not, but that's lying to yourself if you say you did something good for yourself. That's self-deception. Maybe we're deceiving ourselves, saying, I'm growing. Maybe, and most really scary of all, we're fundamentally deceiving ourselves about our very identity, about who we most fundamentally are. And we think because we go to church, because we go to group, We are a Christian. James says we've got to be hearers and doers of the word. That will bring assurance and bring joy in our life as followers of Christ. Later in chapter 2 of James, he's going to say that demons, they have better doctrine and theology than many Christians, and they shudder. That's the free sermon point this morning. You know, demons are not saved. (laughs) But they have good doctrine. Some of them do. So, all right, so what's going to happen next in this passage? Let's look. James, like his half-brother Jesus, is great with stories. He's got great analogies. It must run in the family. 
verse 23 through 25, he's going to give us a contrast. He's going to give us a four-part process of the self-deceived person, verse 23 and 24. And then verse 25, he's going to give us a four-part process of the blessed person. So look at verses 23 through 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So here is the four-step process of the self-deceived man or woman. Here it is. You see it in these verses. First, they look intently. It's an intent look. Second, they go away. Third, they forget. And fourth, they are self-deceived. One scholar on James says, the point is that the impression is only momentary. However intent it may be, the look in the mirror while combing one's hair may be temporarily absorbing, like a great sermon, (laughs) but normally bears no practical results when one engages in the business of the day. So the four-step process, again, just to repeat, of the self-deceived man or woman, they look intently, they go away, they forget, and they're self-deceived. Now, verse 25, let me read it to you. It says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Where's the blessing? In the doing, after the hearing. He will be blessed in his doing. So the four-step process of the self-deceived man or woman is this, looks intently, goes away, forgets, self-deceived, The four-step process of the blessed man or woman is this. Looks intently. So at this point, neck and neck, right? Looking the same. Looks intently. Goes away. Then it says, perseveres. The NIV says, continues. Then it says, acts on it. Perseveres and acts on it. And is blessed. And is blessed. So, looks intently, goes away and perseveres, acts on it, and is blessed. True happiness. So, look at verse 25, just real quick. We're just going to kind of break it down, study the word today. We're doing that. So, the one who looks into the perfect law, God's word is perfect. It's flawless. It's great. It's God. It's his word. The law of liberty. It's freedom. I mean, choose to sin, choose to suffer. You know what I mean? Like, it's the law of liberty. It's a good thing. When God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. When God says do, he says go get joy, be blessed. And so the law of liberty, you know, freedom, true freedom is not sort of casting off all constraints. Tell that to a skydiver as you push him out of the plane. I want to show you what true freedom is, okay? No, no, no. They want to be tightly constrained to a very flawlessly working parachute, which will guide them at 10,000 feet to life and joy and happiness, right? Because that's true freedom. Not casting off all constraints, but being tightly constrained to what brings life and joy. And so here, James says the law of liberty, the perfect law of this person, they look intently into it, and then they persevere. The word there literally in the NIV is continue, and the Greek is parameno. Two words kind of come together there, a prefix, parameno. Para means to come alongside, like 
paralegal comes alongside a lawyer, like paramedic come alongside. Meno means to abide deeply in. Literally, it's saying abide right alongside God's word. So you look intently into the word. You go away. You abide alongside God's word. You parameno. That could be your word for the week. Parameno. Love it. So perseveres, continues, paramenos, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. In his doing. Note the conditional nature of this promise in verse 25. He or she, you or me, will be blessed in our doing. In our doing of the word. So what would be a fail from this sermon, I believe, would be for us to leave here today thinking, he said be a doer of the word, let me just do something. I think we need to really grab God's vision for our lives to be people who have a deep conviction that joy, that true authentic discipleship is found in being a hearer and a doer of God's word. That's where the joy is. That's where life is. That's where the adventure is. We took our kids to Great Wolf Lodge recently. And we have four kids and, you know, we were only going for, for a day and so I got, you know, the computer out, and we watched a bunch of videos of Great Wolf Lodge. And they have, like, 3D simulations of every slide. So you can just click right through, and you can go. In fact, you don't need to go. Don't go. Just go to the website. Watch the videos. Same thing, right? No. Wrong. Who wants to know a lot about Great Wolf Lodge? Who wants to watch videos of Great Wolf Lodge with their kids and then say, kids, we're not going? No, the adventure is in seeing it, building up the excitement of doing it, then doing it. That's where life and joy is found. That's what James is saying. So developing this conviction to be hearers and doers of the word at Fellowship Raleigh, at Southbridge Fellowship, for God, for the city. I think sometimes we come to church with this mentality that we are postgraduate auditors of the Christian faith. Hello? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not taking this course for credit. I'm just here. The glory days back in college, you know, I was in a real tight, small group, accountability group, and we, we did a lot of things for the Lord. But I'm just, I'm just auditing. I'm not taking it for credit right now. That's not the biblical vision. Paul says he's, he's in his last days. He's in, under house arrest. He says, tell Timothy to bring my cloaks and bring my scrolls. I'm not done with ministry. He says in Philippians, I consider everything in the past nothing. I press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He wants to cross the finish line of the Christian faith going at the highest clip that he's ever gone at. That's it. That's the vision. We don't want to be living and serving up spiritual leftovers. We want to have fresh faith, fresh encounters with God, fresh experiences of hearing and doing the word. That's where the joy is. That's where the blessing is. So four things for Monday morning. Four applications quick. Number one, break up with sin, get a restraining order on temptation. I think we just need to be decisive. Some of us, even in the sermon, God said this. He pointed to something. Break up. Piling up knowledge on top of a compromised walk with Christ does not equal joy or growth. Number two, 
Parameno this week. Grab a Bible, make a plan to abide, to meditate on, to memorize God's word. Just start over fresh tomorrow. I'm a pastor. I preach every Sunday. I've been to seminary. I still fail in my quiet time. I need to start over every Monday. So Parameno this week. Number three, be teachable and accountable in real community in the faith. Give church members at Southbridge a hunting and fishing license in your life. Be in real community. Not, not sort of the, the look-alike of real community. Some of you maybe are on the fringes of this church. I encourage you deeply dive in. Be accountable. Hold yourself accountable to people in this church so that you can grow because you have blind spots. So do I. We are self-deceived at times. And we need to recognize that. And then fourth, Let's be beloved brothers and sisters in Christ who seek after this blessing that comes in doing. I love the way this passage sort of has these two bookends. This is what we'll finish with. It starts off with calling us dear brothers and sisters or beloved. And it closes with a blessing that's conditional upon our obedience to what James is talking about. The title of the sermon, Responding to the Word. So it's like this. We're unconditionally loved as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not working for our salvation. That's, that's religious moralism. That's not the gospel at all. We are working from salvation. We're beloved we're unconditionally loved, but God is giving us in this passage this morning a conditional promise. Unconditionally loved brothers and sisters in Christ given a conditional promise that when we are hearers and doers of the word, then we'll be blessed. So let's pursue that. Let's go for that. Let's respond to God's word together. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning for your great word that is able to save. And we just thank you for encouraging us and challenging us to think about how we're doing, how teachable our heart has been in this season. So God, I just pray that you are stirring our hearts, that you are digging in the dirt, the soil of our life, that this next season would be the best season of following Jesus. And for any here who do not yet have this personal relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would stunningly open their eyes to the free, unconditional love and grace that you offer to us in Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.